My name is uh, Jesse. Uh, if you don't know who I am, I'm the pastor from out at the junction. And uh, you have to excuse me today, but I am sort of recovering from a cold, so I have been trying not to shake anybody's hand or give anybody hugs or any of those holy kisses or anything like that. So uh, I know there seems to be a lot of sickness going around, so I want to keep it from spreading anywhere. But good to be here. I'm not sure how it worked out this way, but it happened to be that uh, since you guys start the earliest, that I happened to come out here on the Time Chave Sunday, and I live the farthest away, but uh, good to be here. Good to see everybody. <laughs> yeah, very lucky. <laughs> All right, uh, you can start that. We want to talk about freedom from shame today, and before we do, let's pray. Father, we... I just want to acknowledge your presence here this morning. We thank you that you are here. And we thank you, uh, God, that you are a God who uh, just loves on us and that you so desire to be close to us. And so, Father, I pray you would help us to draw near to you, that you might draw near to us. Uh, God, that by your Holy Spirit you would speak. I pray uh, that you would open up our hearts. It open our minds, it open our souls, God, to hear what your spirit is saying. I pray you would uh, watch over this message, God, that it might glorify you. Uh, God, you keep me from saying anything that uh, would be offensive or uh, hindrance to what your Holy Spirit is doing. In Jesus' name, amen. So I do want to talk about uh, freedom from shame today. Shame is one of those things that we all struggle with. And we uh, deal with all the time. Sometimes it's greater, sometimes it's less. Sometimes we put shame away in one area and it comes back. Uh, But shame is one of those things we need to learn to deal with and is one of those things I don't think we necessarily talk about enough. Shame will keep us from uh, drawing close to God and it will keep us from uh, having deep relationships with other people. It would also keep us, um, it keeps us from being effective in the kingdom and being able to minister well. And so if we want to be people who love on God and love on each other and are effective in the kingdom, we need to learn to deal with the shame uh, that we experience in our lives. And so we're going to talk a little bit about what that means. But to do that, I want to start with comparing it a little bit between the difference between conviction, guilt, and shame. When we uh, make a mistake, and we all do, if you're honest with yourself and how you relate to others, we make a lot of mistakes in life. And when we make a mistake, we will experience conviction uh, from the Holy Spirit, and we also will experience conviction from our own conscience. Uh, John 16, talking about the Holy Spirit, says, when He, that is the Holy Spirit, comes, He will convict the world of, of sin. Now, the Holy Spirit does a lot of amazing things. He empowers us. He points us to Jesus, he pours out gifts. But one of the roles of the Holy Spirit is to convict us when we sin. And that is a good thing, that is a godly thing. It's one of the ways that that Jesus keeps us looking to him. We also will be convicted by our conscience. And Romans 2 uh, says that God's law is written in, in our hearts for our own conscience and thoughts either accuse us or tell us uh, they, uh, that we're doing wrong. In other words, when we, we do something wrong, or do something right, our conscience that God has given us will either affirm or convict us. And so uh, God has sort of put these two checks in our lives when we 
go down the wrong path, when we're not being loving towards God or loving towards others, we'll experience conviction from the Holy Spirit and, and our conscience. Now, there is a, a place where we can, as the Bible says, we can have, actually have a seared conscience where we continually do something and we ignore God and what he is saying and we ignore what the Holy Spirit is saying and in our conscience and we could keep pushing that away. We can end up with a seared conscience. Uh, when we are convicted by the Holy Spirit and our conscience, we will experience something which we know as, as guilt. And there's a, both a good guilt and a bad guilt that the Bible talks about. In 2 Corinthians 7, it says that godly sorrow brings repentance or godly guilt. It, it brings repentance. It should uh, push us towards God because we realize that God is where our help is found. And, and God is where freedom is found. And so it brings us back to God. Uh, godly sorrow brings repentance that leads to salvation and leaves no regret. But worldly sorrow or worldly guilt, it brings death. And when we fall into bad guilt, it will pull us away from God and it will pull us away from other people and will cause us to fall into a trap of shame which will affect our relationship with God and affect our relationship with each other. And we can compare a little bit between the difference between good guilt and bad guilt. Again, good guilt is a good thing. It is a godly thing. It is, is there uh, because God has wired that in to, to protect us and to keep us in places of good relationship with God and with others. So good guilt will lead us towards God. Uh, bad guilt will lead us away from God. And you could even uh, see the difference in um, uh, Peter and Judas when they both sinned against Jesus. Both denied Jesus. Uh, Peter denied Jesus and the rooster crowed three times. Judas denied Jesus and betrayed him with 30 pieces of, of, uh, of coin. And the Bible says that both experienced guilt. They experienced this remorse. Uh, Peter breaks down in tears. Uh, Judas returns the 30 pieces of silver. But Judas fell into bad guilt and shame, which ultimately led him to commit suicide. Peter's guilt remained good because he returned to Jesus. In fact, it says that he ran to the tomb. He tried to get there first. He was so hungry to get back to Jesus. And this is what good guilt should do. That we realize that God is so loving and so gracious that I don't want to be away from him, even when I mess up, that I run towards him. But bad guilt, which leads to shame, will, will pull away. Uh, good uh, guilt will think of others, how I hurt others, how I hurt God. Bad guilt thinks of self. Oh, I've been caught. Oh, I look bad now. Or someone knows who I really am. Uh, good guilt leads us into community because we realize we can't do life on our own. Uh, we need each other. Bad guilt leads us away from community, to isolation. Uh, good guilt is removed with confession, and bad guilt leads to shame. And I want to talk about shame in a moment. But let me just talk about how our guilt is to be washed away when we return to Jesus. And this is one of the reasons why, when we feel guilty, we need to run to God, because He is the only one who can actually wash away our guilt. Hebrews 10, a super important passage. It says, We have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus. That we can actually confidently go in 
to the very holy of holies, the very presence of God, which is, is pretty mind-blowing when you consider the most holy place of the Old Testament, the very sacred spot in the Old Testament temple, which the high priest could only go in once a year and only after he uh, uh, produced another number of sacrifices he could actually go in. Only once a year could you go into the most holy place. But Jesus has so cleansed us that we can actually, it says, confidently enter. We can actually confidently enter the most holy place. Even if we've just messed up. Even if we've had the most worst week. Even if we've been doing things that we are super ashamed of and just like, why did I do that? Why did I keep falling into that sin? We can still confidently go into the most holy place. Which... Satan doesn't want you to believe because Satan wants you to believe that, oh man, if you come to church today, the roof is going to fall in on your head because, you know, you can't confidently come into the holy place. But notice what it says. We can confidently go in by the blood of Jesus. You see, we tend to think that it's by our performance. That it's after I read the Bible enough, it's after I pray enough, it's after I go to church a lot, maybe then I can actually enter into the most holy place. This is not about how good you are. This is about how good Jesus is. And Jesus is so good and so amazing that even when we've messed up, we can confidently go into the most holy place. And then it says, let us draw near to God with a sincere heart and with a full assurance that faith brings, having our hearts sprinkled, and it says this, to cleanse us from a guilty conscience. And having our bodies washed with pure water, let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess, for he who promised is faithful. That he is actually faithful to wash away our guilt. That when we mess up and are convicted by the Holy Spirit and our conscience and we feel guilt, when we run to God and confess our sin, we can confidently, even if we're really messed up this week, confidently go into the most holy place and have our guilt actually washed away. And that's the way it's supposed to work. Where we continually go into the presence of God, have our guilt washed away so that we feel free and empowered to really love God and love people. But Satan doesn't want you to know this. And Satan will do whatever he can to make sure that you do not have your guilt washed away. He will do whatever he can to make sure that you fall into shame. And so if you don't let God deal with your guilt, you will move to bad guilt, which will lead to shame. And here's some differences between guilt and shame. Remember, guilt is a good thing. Shame is not a a good thing. Guilt says, I've made a mistake. And we do that. We all make mistakes. It's not a bad thing. Guilt says, I have done something wrong. And again, we, we do things wrong. But bad guilt or shame goes a step further and says, that I actually am a mistake. It's not I just made a mistake, but that I am actually a mistake. A shame will say that I have no value and that I'm actually worthless. Now, I do want to put a bracket note in here because sometimes I see in the Christian church that people will say, well, isn't that what the Bible tells us that we are? I mean, aren't we valueless and aren't we worthless in the sight of God? Not, not really. I mean, let's explain this a little bit. Uh, the Bible tells us we are sinful. Absolutely. I mean, we, Psalm 51 says, I was sinful at birth, sinful from the time my mother conceived me. Uh, 1 John 1 says, If we claim we have not sinned, we make him out 
to be a liar and his word is not in us. I mean, we are all sinners. Uh, we need Jesus 100%. There is no way in our own strength or performance that we are ever, ever able to make it into heaven or, or give ourselves a right relationship with God. We need Jesus. We are sinners. But this doesn't make us valueless or worthless. In fact, when God created us, in the beginning, he says we are actually created in the image of God. And he says to Adam and Eve that this is very good. Uh, God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. And even after the fall, do you know we didn't lose the image of God in us? Even after the fall of mankind, we still carry the very image of God, the imago Dei. We see in James, it speaks about this. It says, talking about our tongue and our words, uh, sometimes it praises our Lord our, and Father, and sometimes it curses those who have been made in the image of God. That even though we are fallen and sinful, we are still in the image of God. That there's still something inherently good about us as humans because of the image of God. And this is why Christians teach that, uh, that every human has value, dignity, and worth. That there is, we don't, we're not racist. We don't put one culture ahead of the other because every single person on this planet, even though we're all fallen and we all need Jesus, there's still this image of God in us. Uh, further, uh, Jesus said in Matthew 10, talking about sinful people like us, he says, you are more valuable to God than a whole flock of sparrows. That every single person on this planet is actually valuable to God. Uh, we're not valueless, we're not worthless, we're actually valuable to God. Matthew 6, look at the birds of the air. They don't not sow or reap or store away in barns, yet your heavenly Father feed them. And he says again, are you not much more valuable than they? But shame would have us believe that we actually are valueless. And that we are worthless. That there is no imago Dei. There is no image of God in you. In fact, God looks at you and he thinks you're entirely pathetic and has, wants nothing to do with you. Here's some of the things that shame will say to us. This will come out of our own feelings. This will come out of the voice of the enemy, the voice of sin and Satan. Uh, he'll make us feel hopeless. And I'm speaking to, to followers of Jesus here, people who have the Holy Spirit in them, that even though we have Jesus in us, shame will cause us to feel hopeless. And no Christian should ever feel hopeless because we have the hope of the world on our side. But when we're stuck in shame, we feel hopeless about our situation. We feel about hopeless about that I'm ever going to go over this sin. We just feel hopeless. We'll feel depressed. We'll feel like a failure. I can't do anything right. Even though Jesus is in me, I still can't do anything right. I know the Bible says nothing is impossible with God, but that's not so with me. I'm a failure. Uh, it'll isolate us. Uh, because I feel so much shame, I don't want to be around people. I don't want them to know who I am. In fact, I don't deserve to be loved, so I, I isolate myself because I'm stuck in shame. You maybe want to disappear like Judas wanted to disappear. You'll think that everything is your fault. And the reason, you know, work is not going well, it's my fault. The reason my marriage isn't going well, it's my fault. The reason my kids are going haywire, it's my fault. And Satan pushes this on you when you're stuck in shame. Uh, you believe that, that you can't be forgiven. That what you did is kind of like the unforgivable sin. 
or that you've done this one too many times and I know God is a forgiving God, but He's not going to forgive you this time because you keep falling into that same trap and you keep falling into that same sin. That shame says that you're actually unforgivable. Uh, you may have a deep hatred of yourself. You may feel powerless. Uh, you may feel that you're a mistake. Again, that you have no value. You may feel that you don't deserve to be loved, forgiven, or cared for. Because you don't have everything together, because you keep messing up, that you really don't deserve to be loved or cared for or forgiven. You may actually think that, that God, you don't even deserve God's love. That you don't even deserve God's forgiveness. Because you've just messed up too many times. That, uh, that you don't deserve the love of your spouse and the love of your kids. Again, it'll isolate you from God and for others because you think you don't deserve it. Uh, I can't receive God's grace. I need to work for it. You begin to live in direct opposition to the gospel, which says it's by grace and by faith. But you begin to believe, I need to perform in order to get to God. I need to do really well in order to be forgiven, uh, that you need to work for it. Uh, some people trying to atone for their sin will do a whole bunch of good things. And the reason is not because they're motivated to actually help people. The reason is they think they need to pay off their sin. Somehow they've got to work through their shames. They do all these good things trying to, to make themselves feel good or to get rid of this shame. Same idea as making atonement for our sin or self-sabotage. Uh, some people will uh, unconsciously destroy their marriage because they're so stuck in shame. Again, they feel like, I don't deserve to have a good marriage. I don't deserve to be loved. I don't deserve to be cared for. And so they begin to self-sabotage their marriage. They begin to self-sabotage relationships. And this guilt, this bad guilt and shame, it just pulls people under. And this is a real issue, if you're actually honest with your heart, that we all struggle with. Now, it might be small, it might be big, but this is something that we all struggle with. And so it's important we learn how to deal with this because... Shame keeps us from our ability to love God and our ability to love others. And shame will lead uh, really to two opposite directions. One, to despair, or the other is performance. One way is to despair. Well, I'm so horrible, I'm so bad, I can't do anything right, Jesus can't help me, uh, He won't forgive me, He can't love me, I don't deserve to be loved, so I just give up on everything. I don't, I shouldn't, I don't even know why I go to church anymore, because I'm... I'm past being helped. I don't even know why I try to pray anymore. I don't know why I pursue relationship anymore because I keep messing up and you just lead to absolute despair and absolute depression where you just want to give up on everything. The opposite is performance. Well, I keep messing up, so next time I'm going to try harder. I'm going to make sure I don't fall into this ever again. I'm going to make sure I don't ever get there in my marriage. And so we perform and we try so hard to be perfect, but the reality is, we're not perfect. And we do mess up. And so when we mess up, we feel more shame, which causes us to perform more, which leads us to more shame, and we get st stuck in the cycle. And if you know anything about addiction or bondage, there is a cycle, and part of that cycle is, a huge piece of that cycle is shame. It doesn't matter acting out if it's alcoholism, pornography, gambling, drinking, or buying too much, eating too much, gossip, whatever that bondage you find yourself in. It'll lead to guilt, which is a good thing. It is to lead you back to God and to repentance. But if you don't deal with that guilt, 
through the power of Jesus, it leads to shame. That God can't help you and, and you're not lovable and you really are a mistake and you really are worthless. And it'll lead often to recommitments of performance. Well, I'm never going to do that again. This time I am going to be really good. This time it's not going to happen because, man, last time it happened, I felt all this shame and it was really bad. And usually people in an addiction cycle will do well for an hour, for a day, for a month, even a few months, until they enter into a stress or uh, a, a trigger. It might be a fortis bill or a bad day at work or, you know, uh, your marriage isn't going well that day and you're feeling stressed and all of a sudden you begin to act out again. And even in dealing with addiction, one of the main things that you need to deal with is shame. When you, and even if this addiction cycle is just a minor sin in your issue or a minor issue that you keep struggling with and you can't get out of, shame is one of the core things you need to deal with. And so... We're going to talk a little bit about dealing with shame. Uh, Andrew Kaminsky said this, Shame is the raincoat over the soul, repelling the living water of Jesus that would otherwise establish us as the beloved. Uh, Jesus so wants to rain down power on your life. He wants to rain down grace on your life. He wants to rain down forgiveness. He wants to rain down His presence on your life. But shame is like sticking up an umbrella that blocks you from experiencing the power and the goodness and the grace of God. And so I want to talk in our final minutes here about pulling down the umbrella of shame so that you might once again feel and experience the goodness of Jesus so that your guilt and shame might be washed away. And part of this is simply believing the truth. Jesus said the truth will set you free. And the reason a lot of people are not free, especially in this area, is because we don't believe the truth. Uh, we believe other authorities other than Jesus. We believe our feelings as the authority. Uh, we see Satan and sin as our authority. But there is only one authority that we follow in this world, and his name is Jesus. And when we believe the truth of Jesus, it sets us free. And the lie of sin and shame is always trying to get us to not believe the truth of Jesus and to get us to believe something else like our feelings or sin and Satan. So here's some truths of Scripture that help with shame. That if you are someone who is in Christ, you've given your life to Jesus, you are forgiven and even when you mess up, you can go to God and ask for forgiveness, and He forgives you. Shame will tell you you're not forgivable. Or that you've done it one too many times, and God won't forgive you this time. Or this time you've got to really do a lot of work in order for God to forgive you. But that's a lie. Uh, we are forgiven in Jesus. First uh, John 1.9, if we confess our sins... He is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. Not just some unrighteousness, but all unrighteousness. And it's really interesting, the word all here in the Greek, you know what it means? It means all. You, when you confess your sin, you're forgiven. And shame will say, oh, you're not really forgiven. 
And we begin to believe another truth other than the Word of God. We begin to believe maybe our feelings that are saying, well, really, you're not forgiven. Or we believe Satan who is saying, you're not really forgiven. This is about believing the truth. Hebrews 8.12 says, I will forgive their wickedness and remember their sin no more. And sometimes we feel like God is just going to continue to hold this sin over your head. He actually forgives. And in sort of a figurative sense, he forgets. He pushes it away. As far as the east is from the west, the Bible says, so has he removed his sin from you. Romans 8, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ. When we are under shame, we experience tremendous condemnation. We feel it. It's just, it's just living this condemnation. And when we're experiencing that, we just need to recognize we're not believing the truth of the Word of God. Because the truth of the Word of God is there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ. Not just a little bit. It says, it says there's none. And so if you're experiencing condemnation, you know that's not from God. If you're experiencing guilt and conviction, that is from God. But if you're experiencing condemnation, that is not from God. Ephesians 1, in Him we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of sins, in accordance with the riches of God's grace that He lavished on us. And this is lavished on us. Because we don't deserve this. And shame will tell us, well, you definitely don't deserve it and you're not going to get it. But the truth is, God is so rich in His grace, He lavishes forgiveness on us. And if we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive your sin. And the reality is, as Christians, we're forgiven. We're absolutely, totally forgiven. That is the truth we hang on to. Secondly, uh, we are deeply loved and valued by God. Shame will tell us that you're not loved by God. Shame will tell us that people are not going to love you because you're such a screw-up. That you're unlovable and you're not lovely and God doesn't love you and others shouldn't love you. That's what shame says. Now, do you think God the Father loves God the Son, Jesus? I think we say, yeah. Do you think God the Father uh, loves the Son Jesus a whole lot? Like, incredibly. I mean, there's, there's this beautiful love between God the Father and God the Son. Here's the truth. That God the Father loves you as much as He loves Jesus. That God the Father loves you as much as He loves Jesus, even if you've been messing up this week. This actually comes from Jesus' own lips. John 17. He's, he's in prayer, John 17. He's praying for all the future disciples. He's praying for us. And He's saying, I and them and you are in Me. May they experience such perfect unity that the world will know that You sent Me and that You, Father, love them. That's us as much as You love Me. That God the Father loves you as much as He loves Jesus. Even if you were doing stuff this morning you shouldn't have been doing. God loves you so much. But shame will tell us a lie that I am unlovable. That God's love has disappeared right now because of what I did. We are so loved by God. You just need to let that sink in. This is the truth of Scripture. 
Uh, Romans 5.8. God showed his great love for us by sending Christ to die for us while we were still sinners. And since we have been made right in God's sight by the blood of Christ, he will certainly save us from God's condemnation. Because we are saved, and we are saved from his condemnation. There's no condemnation for those in Christ. For since our friendship with God was restored by the death of his Son, while we were still enemies, we will certainly be saved through the life of his Son. Now there's so much in this text. Uh, But the point is that God loved you and saved you while you were a sinner and while you were an enemy. In other words, when we were at our worst, God still lavished love and forgiveness on you. And so even if you've had the worst week in your Christian life this week, God still loves you. And you're still in Him. And you are forgiven. In fact, notice what he says here, that we have friendship with God. And that we've been saved from God's condemnation. I mean, God's grace is so good that if you actually preach God's grace properly, we should all be going, oh, that can't be true. That's just way too amazing. And God's grace is is just... It's mind-blowing. God loves us. We are so deeply loved and deeply valued by God. We are also totally accepted as a dearly loved child. Uh, Romans 5, since we have been made right, this is the word justified, which means just as if you never sinned. Again, we are washed, we are cleansed by Jesus. Since we have been made right, justified in God's sight, not by our works, not by how amazing we are, it's by faith and trust in Jesus. We have peace with God. This is God the Father looking at us all who are in Christ here. He's looking at us with eyes of peace and love and acceptance. And you need to feel that and experience that, even when you're struggling with stuff. Shame would say you can't receive that. Shame would say God's not really like that. That's a lie. We believe God's worth, uh, a word. We have peace. And again, it ends with this idea of being in this place of undeserved privilege. And you may say, well, I don't deserve that. You bet we don't deserve this. But God is just so, so amazing. What great love the Father has lavished on us that we should be called the children of God. Uh, Hebrews 4, let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. Now, when do we need mercy and grace the most? It says right here, it's when in, in our time of need. It's usually when things aren't going super perfect. We usually need mercy and grace the most when we're struggling and we fell one more time or, you know, I sh- why did I say that to my wife or, you know, why did I do that at work and, man, I'm such a... That's when we need grace and mercy the most. The most. And notice what it says. When we are at our worst in terms of we need grace and mercy, it says, let us approach the throne of grace with confidence. So we don't think that way. We think when I'm at his worst, then you know, I better crawl in in my hands and knees and I better pray a lot and maybe worship a lot and then maybe I can come into the presence of God to receive grace and mercy. He says, no, you can come confidently in. Why? Because Jesus is that good. Because this is about what Jesus has done. This is not about what you have done. 
When you make it about what you are doing and your own performance, this is when you're like, I don't know if I can come to God. I don't know if He will forgive me. But when you're just like, I don't deserve this, but Jesus, you are so amazing. And the only reason I can come to your throne is by you. And we can actually confidently go in knowing that we're a child of God and we're so loved and so forgiven. And even at our worst, God is lavishing love on us to build us up so that we can go out and, and do kingdom work and restore us. This is the love of the Father. One more here. I'm not defined by my sin, but by being in Christ. Shame would have us believe that our major, the major way we define ourselves as Christians should be dirty, rotten sinners. And it's true, we are sinners. But do you know New Testament language uses that kind of language very little when it comes to a Christian in Christ? If you explore the New Testament, how it talks about those who are in Christ, 200 times the New Testament defines Christians as being in Christ. It's the most common way a Christian is defined. Way more than Christian, way more than disciple, this idea of being in Christ. Who are we as Christians? We are in Christ. We are hidden in Christ. I mean, you have no idea what I ate for breakfast. You know why? Because it's in me. It's hidden. The same idea that, that our sin, our junk, it's hidden in Jesus. He has captivated us. He has swallowed us. We are in Christ. Sixty times the New Testament identifies us as saints. Holy ones is the idea of the word. Only two or three times does the New Testament actually identify us as sinners. Now, we are sinners, and 100% of sin. I sin all the time. I mean, I mean, do all my, as I'm filled with the power of the Spirit, to do the will of God and to try to live as gloriously and honorable to, to Jesus as I can, but I mess up. But my major identity in Jesus is not sinner, it's in Christ. And why this is important is because the way you see our identity will determine your activity. And this is how shame gets you. Because shame will say that your identity is this worthless, valueless, unforgivable, unlovable, dirty, rotten, horrible sinner, and that's who you are. And if you are stuck in that identity, then when you're tempted to do something, it's like, well, that's who I am anyway, so what's the big deal? When you're in a situation and, you, and your wife or husband is you know, getting you, you worked up and you're just like, well, I'm just a dirty, rotten sinner. I'm value, I can't do anything right, so why not explode? The way you see your identity will determine your activity. When you realize you are in Christ, that you are a saint, that you've been washed and you are so loved and so accepted and you realize that this is who I am, when you're tempted, it's easier to say, <laughs> Find temptation, but that's not who I am anymore. That's not who I am anymore. And I say that a lot when sin comes barking at my door. I say, you know, that is not who I am anymore. Because my, I know my identity, it's in Jesus. As a loved, dear child of the Heavenly Father of this universe. And so here is the truth of the Word of God. I am totally forgiven. I am deeply loved and valued. I am totally accepted as a dearly loved child. I am not defined by my sin, but by being in Christ. And Jesus said, the truth will set you free. And the question is, when we struggle with sin, is 
Are you believing this truth? Because when we're stuck in shame, the reality is we are not believing the truth. We might be believing our feelings. We might be believing uh, what sin and Satan is saying to us. And the Bible tells us that we are to take every thought uh, and make it obedient to Christ. We take every thought captive and make it obedient to Christ. And so when we have a thought that does not line up with the Word of God, we are to take it that, uh, captive and make it obedient to Christ. And so if we have a thought that comes in, God would never forgive me. We just don't entertain that thought. That's not part of the gospel. I am forgiven. You hear a word that you are so unacceptable in God's eye. You are such a mess up. God's never going to love you this time. We take that thought captive and make it obedient to Christ and say, that's not of God. That's not the gospel. You have a thought that comes in, you better atone for your sin. You better perform to make sure that you get right with God. We take that thought captive and make it obedient to Christ. And so one of the big questions here is who are you trusting and who are you listening to? Because the reality is, it is amazing how often we allow our feelings to trump the gospel. How we say, you know, I, I follow God's word and Jesus is my Lord, but in a moment we allow our feelings to be authority of our life. Do you know your feelings make a really bad authority for your life? Really, really bad. Like really, really bad. Yet we live like that. Well, I feel this way, so it's true. No, no, Jesus is our authority. We sometimes have more faith in our feelings than the resurrected power of Jesus Christ and His Word. It's true. And that happens whenever we feel shame. It's simply because we are not believing the truth of the gospel. I mean, this really is a gospel issue. Uh, we may be having more faith in what sin and Satan are saying to us as they're speaking into us to keep us in shame. We need to learn to trust Jesus. We need to learn to trust His Word. We need to trust what He is saying and allow that to trump our, our feelings and, um, and our shame. Sometimes uh, this question will come up. I have confessed my sin, but I still feel guilty and I still feel shame. And I've confessed my sin, but I feel still feel all this guilt and all this shame. And it goes back to the, the same thing. You know, somebody asks me this question, I'll say, well, who are you trusting? Where are you getting that thought from? Are you getting that thought from God? Or are you getting that thought from your own feelings? Or from the work of the enemy speaking into your heart? And it's not from God. I mean, again, Holy Spirit convicts us. He brings us to guilt so that we might return to God in repentance and have ourselves washed and empowered so we can go out and live in our identity. But if you're stuck in shame and guilt, even though you confessed your sin, then the truth of the Word of God will set you free. And you need to trust the gospel, not your feelings that say, well, I couldn't be forgiven because that was really bad. The gospel says if you confess your sins, he is faithful and just to forgive you your sins and to cleanse you from all unrighteousness. Nowhere in the Bible does it say that we as children of God should be stuck in shame. Do you know three times, three times, because the lie of the enemy is this shame you're feeling is actually from God. The shame you're feeling is from the Holy Spirit. Three times the Bible says this. Romans 9. The one who believes in him will never be put to shame. 
Romans 10.11 Anyone who believes in him will never be put to shame. 1 Peter 2.6 The one who trusts in him will never be put to shame. Now do you trust Jesus? Are you in Jesus? Then the shame is not from God. And you need to give that over to him. And allow him to touch you with the truth that you are totally forgiven. You are totally accepted and totally loved. And that you have a new identity. It's not your sin. It's not your shame. It is being in Christ. Let's pray. Uh, Father, we pray that you would just lead us into this truth. God, we know that your kindness is to lead us towards repentance. And God, how shame will keep us from your kindness and shame keeps us from repentance. So Father, I pray for any of us here who are experiencing shame this morning, that in these few moments of silence that we would confess that sin and we would allow that forgiveness of your son Jesus to cleanse us from all in righteousness. Just take a moment to confess that sin, to lift it up to Jesus. Father, you tell us that if we confess our sin, that you are faithful and just to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And you say, God, in your word that when we are in Christ, there is no condemnation. So, Lord, we accept that as truth. We accept the gospel. And we accept the cleansing, God, of our guilt. And so, God, we push away any uh, temptation from the enemy, any temptation from our feelings to override the truth of your gospel. And, God, may this week... We live in this truth and may we take every thought captive and make it obedient to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you. God bless.